I'm really excited this morning to um, have Nancy come and share in a few moments, but I wanted just to set this up and give some context, especially if you've been visiting online or listening by podcasts or in some way are new to the church over the last number of months or even year. Um, it's really important you kind of just understand why we're doing this. There, there's this um, phrase also that we say you can kind of tell the who the person is by who hangs out with them, right? You get kind of that idea. I love Dr. Seuss who says, we are a little weird and life's a little weird, and when we find someone whose weirdness is compatible with ours, we join up with them and fall in mutual weirdness and call it love. Um, Some of you might relate to this. People say I'm crazy. If they met the rest of my family, they'd understand. Uh, I, I, I like what John um, Weisman says here. He says, if you run into someone you know and they say we should hang out sometime, just say, I'm ready to hang out now and watch them panic, right? Whoa, didn't mean right now. The reason I bring up this whole idea of who you hang out with and then especially even more so who's attracted to you is because it's a great question to ask when you look at who Jesus is. And Jesus was the kind of person that attracted people to him who didn't feel like they had to pretend. And in fact, many ways, they couldn't pretend. I mean, they came with illnesses and sicknesses and some of them with great psychological problems and others with um, were even demonized. And, and it was in a sense that they couldn't hide it. It was the religious, respectable people who had stuff inside that didn't want to get real with it. They had bad attitudes. They had sinful attitudes. They had hearts that were not clean. And Jesus said at one point, you're like whitewashed tombs. There's a lot of decay inside, but you guys walk around not getting real. And we are really committed to being like Jesus. Jesus had about him this sense that, that everyone was welcome. And the people who felt most welcome were the ones who weren't perfect. Nobody's perfect. And we talk as a culture, one of the reasons I think people went to Jesus is because anything's possible. They came to him with those two things, hoping that they wouldn't stay where they're at, but they would move to a better place, a more healthy place, whatever it would look like, whether it's in relationship, whether most often within their own heart, it could be a physical ailment. Whatever it was, they flocked to Jesus. Luke tells us that in a couple different passages. He just tells us in, 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 in this sense that people who are willing not to pretend, who are willing to get real, are willing to come to say, here I am and this is who I am, are the kind of people who can get help. We're told that real people came with real problems. And so if you look at that, You'll see in Luke chapter 15, I'll just use this one verse. There's a number of verses you can see throughout Luke. But he basically um, says to one person after another who come to him who are imperfect, they're messed up, uh, they know they don't have their act together. I like to often say, especially when the congregation is crowded, just look around at people. You look at, as you come in, you might look at cars that people drive, you might look at how they're dressed, what they look like, but I have everybody kind of look at each other and and just recognize nobody here really has their act together. You might act like it, but we all have things that would be really helpful to go, boy, here's what's going on. I uh, went to the doctor the other day, and I came to the doc. It was a dermatologist, and the doc basically asked me, um, how are you doing? And, and I said, well, why do you ask? Well, duh, you're here for a reason, right? Um, and I could act like I didn't have something going on 
Um, and earlier, when I, when I had gone, I had this little spot of hair falling out. It's called alopecia. And if I would have acted like it wasn't there and kind of covered over, that would have been stupid. Some of you guys have hereditary kind of um, losing of hair, which is called baldness. Um, but because I was willing to say, I need this treated, I was able to get help and move from that place to a new place. A critical step for us as a church is to admit this. And people who are willing to do this did that. So Luke 15, 1 through 2. And I'm going to read it from the message because I like the way that it's said. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. And the Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. You can hear under their breath. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. And their grumbling triggered the story because Jesus heard their grumbling. And he told three stories. He told the story of a lost sheep. He told the story of a lost coin. And he told the story of a lost son. And it wasn't till the son, in the midst of being in a pigsty, came to a realization and admitted where he was at, that he began to move to a place where he was able to go back and enjoy the presence of his father. You can't get from here to there without a really good, accurate assessment of what here is. And so as we talked last week about everything, everyone's welcome, this week we're talking about nobody's perfect. And it sets up so perfectly, I believe, for Nancy to share with us. Because if you're willing to quit pretending, if you're willing to truly believe that Jesus wants you right where you're at, and if you're willing to, to just live in his presence in that humble, honest fashion, and I say this as well, if you're willing to be in a small group and do the same thing, we, we talk about small groups, there is possibility for people to see here, and there's possibility for God to do anything. Anything's possible to move you to the place he wants you to be. And that critical step for us to get to that place calls for humility, calls for an honesty, and it calls for a confidence that you're not trusting in yourself. You're not relying on what other people think about you. You're relying on what God thinks about you, which he says he loves you, and you're relying on the fact that he has the power to move you from here to there. I, um, from time to time, go to Mall of America, which is practically never. It's maybe every three to four years when I, when I have to... Um, we have an out-of-town guest, and we're trying to find something for them to do, right? And so you take them to Mall of America, and I can tell you I have no problem walking into that place with some 466 stores and going right to the kiosk. And at that kiosk, because of this massive place, I look for the you are here. This morning, what we're going to do with Nancy, and I'm really excited about this, you took a survey of 100 plus questions, and you gave us an idea from your perspective where we're at. We have been talking about not just pausing. We believe God has put the church, not ours, all churches in a pause. And we have all said we don't want to go back to normal. What we want to do as a church family and body is intentionally reset. 
into the direction that God is calling us. And so that's what we're going to be doing over this next year. But it all begins by saying we're here. And so if you're new, we are willing to show you our blemishes and beauty marks and whatever else because we want to live transparently and vulnerably. So I'm going to ask Nancy if you would come and you would begin this process for us of what I call an intentional reset. And that's by telling us here we are. And so Nancy, thank you for being a part of this and uh, for NL uh, Moore Associates for helping us through this. Thanks, Kevin. Let's see if I can do this double-fisted here with a clicker in one hand and a microphone in the other. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Nancy Moore, as Kevin said. I am the lead consultant with NL Moore and Associates. Um, I live in Woodbury, Minnesota, but we work nationally with churches like yours in a number of ways, but one of those ways is congregational assessment, congregational health, helping churches um, get from here to there with regard to where they are now and, and then moving into a more transformational posture. Um, by way of introduction, I'm sure many of you don't know me. <laughs> um, I live in Woodbury on the other side of town uh, with my husband. I've been married more than 30 years. Um, but I came to faith as a 19-year-old college student through a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ back then, crew now. And uh, But I immediately got plugged into a local church. And I was discipled there. I grew up in my faith there. Um, I understood that I had a call to ministry and a gift of leadership. And that local church really changed the trajectory of my whole life. Um, I'm here today because of the investment of that local congregation. And I began a love affair with the local church at that time. I'm one of those people when somebody says the local church is the hope of the world, I'm like, yes, yes. We are plan A, there is no plan B. And so for me, there's no greater mission than to get up every day and help local churches to thrive. So it's really a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I want to thank Kevin and your church leadership um, for their act of vulnerability in inviting me here to share the results with you directly. Um, I'm, you know, it's always helpful, I think, for people to know that they heard the, the results from the horse's mouth. I'm the horse in that analogy. Um, but it's an act of vulnerability on the part of your leadership to be transparent and to say, we want you to be able to share in an unfiltered way um, what you told us. And I have already unpacked this with their leader, with your leadership, but I'm really happy to be here today to share a summary of those results with you as well. So let's get started. Um, so back in June, you all took an online assessment. As Kevin said, it was more than 100 questions. And uh, we you have an average of 450 adult attenders. And so for statistical validity and reliability, we needed 257 of you to participate so that we could know the results that we receive back are valid and reliable. Um, good job, church. You had 309 participants in your assessment, so you guys outdid yourselves. Uh, more than 50 people than we had to have take the survey took it. So you have valid and reliable results at 95% plus or minus four, which is just terrific. So well done, church. Um, as I relay these results to you, we're going to look at numbers, statistics, percentages. Um, and these numbers uh, tell a story. Uh, to those of us who have been trained in their interpretation. When I look at all of the data, I'm able to understand something about your congregation. Um, and symbols tell a story. If you looked at this necklace around my neck here, you might see um, a cross 
Uh, some of you might say that's a pretty piece of jewelry. Um, others might say that that must mean something to her. It must signify something about her faith. And both those things are true. Uh, but it's also a gift from my husband, uh, which represents that relationship, on a special birthday, which I don't want to tell you what that means, but I'm older than I was the year before. And there's a little diamond in the center of it that um, is a private joke between my husband and I about how I lose expensive things. Like, don't give me expensive things because for sure I will lose them. So while you look at this, some of you might say it's a pretty piece of jewelry, but this symbol means so much more. It tells so much more of my story. As we look at the data and the percentages for your church, I want you to remember that when you were taking this assessment, each one of you, when you were asked a question about how you felt about something in the church, you weren't just thinking about the question, you were thinking about your whole experience, your story here, your journey here, what's been meaningful for you, what hasn't, and how you how you synthesize those things together into your response. So as we look at these symbols and percentages, we want to remember that they're telling us a story. And what I'm going to do today is try to help interpret that for you. And those of us who are Christians and followers of Christ, we can look at the cross and realize, yeah, symbols do tell a story. So um, the second thing I want to say before we get going is this is the beginning of a conversation, not the end. It isn't intended to be like, okay, this is it, church. This is where you stop. Here's the results. That's it. It's really intended to catalyze conversation, and I think your leadership has taken seriously that call to do that, and I'm excited to see where this conversation goes for you. So beginning of the story, not the end. So let's look at your story. When we're assessing congregations, we look at two key indicators, um, energy and satisfaction, as a measure of the health and vitality of a church. So um, in over 25 years, the company, HCC, who owns this assessment, we're trained interpreters of it. We don't own it. They own it. Um, but they have trained us. In more than 25 years of doing this assessment work with congregations, they've learned if you can measure the energy and the satisfaction of a congregation, it tells you something about their health and vitality. So we call these key indicators. When we use the word energy, think force of engagement, the force of engagement of the people. And when we use the word satisfaction, it's not intended as a consumeristic satisfaction, like I love my iPhone or I love my MacBook, something like that. It's really that peaceful contentment, that sense of fulfillment, shalom, if you will, right? This fulfilled contentment. So that's what those two words mean, the force of engagement of the people plus the fulfilled contentment of the people tells us something about their health. So we want congregations to be thriving with high energy and high satisfaction. We call that healthy uh, church posture transformation. So we want churches to be in transformation. Doesn't matter demographic, location, theology, worship style. What matters is what is the influence of that congregation on the people, right? High energy, high satisfaction equals transformation. So the overall satisfaction... Overall satisfaction question we asked you was, on a whole, I'm satisfied with how things are in our church. Pretty straightforward. Positively worded question. Um, 56% of your respondents clearly agreed with that. That meant that you strongly agreed or agreed. And we lump those together and we say those people clearly agree. Then 37% of the respondents here were on the fence. That means they tended to agree, tended to disagree. And we we clump those together and say those people are on the fence. Someone who tends to agree doesn't have the same level of clarity as someone who clearly agrees. 
So we make that distinction. Clearly agree on the fence. Or 7% of your people clearly disagreed, which means they disagreed or strongly disagreed. Okay? So on a whole, I'm satisfied with how things are in our church. 56% clearly agree, 37% are on the fence, and 7% disagree. When we're doing assessment, we look at both the positive and the negative numbers. So on a positively worded question, ideally we want to see 70% of people clearly agreeing. That's ideal, would be 70%. Um, Your church is at 56, so about 14% under where we would hope it would be. And then on the negative numbers, we look at um, that as 3 to 4% of any group are going to be what's termed contrarians. Those are individuals who are just wired by God to see the opposite point of view. You say, I think it looks great out today, and they're like, I think it's a little cold. You know, if you turn left at the, co- uh, the corner, you're going to get where you want faster. They're like, I'm going right. Um, you know, those are the people who just are wired by God. They just bring the opposite point of view. It's why churches should never require a 100% vote on anything. In any population, 3 to 4% are going to be contrarians. Your church is at 7%, so just a little bit above that contrarian number. Okay? Then our overall energy question. It seems to me we're just going through the motions of church activity. There isn't much excitement about it among our attenders. You had, you can see that that's a negatively worded question. And when, and throughout the assessment, there were negatively worded questions. It keeps the assessment taker engaged. Like, oh, wait, you know, you can't just say agree, agree. You're like, wait a second, what did that say? We want people to disagree with it. Okay? So you, if somebody said, it seems to me we're just going through the motions, we would want people to say, no, it doesn't. There's meaning here. There's things that are, are valuable here. We're not just going through the motions. So we want people to disagree. So you had 48% of your people clearly disagree with that statement. 40% were on the fence. And 11% clearly agree. So that's our negative number. Now, when you have a negatively worded question, we have to add some, some um, percentages in for the bias created by a negative wording. So um, ideally, on a negatively worded question, we would want 50% of people to disagree with it or affirm that you're not just going through the motions. And in this case, you had 48% here in your church. So you're really close to that benchmark. That's great. And then we norm, again, the negative response rates or those who would agree that you're just going through the motions. We have to increase that as well. And that comes up to 13 to 15% negative response rate, right? And your church is at 11%. So not you didn't even hit that benchmark. So we can tell there that's a great response to the energy question. Maybe a little less on the satisfaction than would be ideal, but still very good so far. So if I'm coming up to you and shaking your hand, say, hey, why is that a free church? How are you doing? Right away, I say, well, this, this looks pretty good. So if we map these two key indicators on a map, um, this is what it would look like, right? This is the kiosk you walk up to at the mall. Um, the upper right-hand corner here is transformation. That's high energy, high satisfaction, right? Lots of things happening, but people are really satisfied by it. The upper left-hand quadrant is called chaos. That's when you have high energy, but low satisfaction. A lot of stuff happening, but everybody's going, but what's the point? What, where are we headed? Why are we doing all these things? Like, what's going on? It just feels like chaos, and, and we don't know the purpose. So the upper left-hand quadrant is chaos. 
The lower left-hand quadrant, where you have low energy and low satisfaction, is called uh, recovery. That's like when you're sick and you know it. There's self-knowledge in this quadrant that not, something's not working right. I actually want to go to the doctor and get a prescription so I can get feeling better. Right? That's rec- We call that recovery. Low energy, low satisfaction. And then the lower right quadrant, low energy, high satisfaction. Right? It's like you're sitting in a car you love that's out of gas. And, and you're like, don't you want to get some gas so you can go somewhere? Nope. Just don't ask me to get out of my car. Love my car. I love sitting here and listening to the radio. I love the way the seat hugs my back. I like to feel the steering wheel. It's like, don't you want to drive it somewhere? Nope. Just don't ask me to get out. Don't ask me to change anything. I just love it. Low energy, high satisfaction. We call that status quo. Okay? Now, within this map, there's a couple of other things that are important to note. The lower left-hand corner of the recovery quadrant, when the energy and satisfaction are both so low, we call that a turnaround posture. So when a church uh, lands, right, where are you now, down in low energy, low satisfaction, we say they're in a turnaround posture. It's going to take a large amount of change to get that church up and to the right Similarly, the lower right-hand corner of the lower right-hand quadrant of status quo is actually called hospice. When the energy is so low but the satisfaction is so high, they lack awareness of how ill they are. And we actually call that uh, posture hospice. And that church will be chaplained into death, which breaks my heart as somebody who loves the church. But there are congregations who literally will not come back. The only way to restore them would be to plant into a new congregation or merge them into something that has some health and some strength that they can lend it. When you have a large number of people on the fence, um, we call that the transition zone. Um, So what happens next is going to determine which side of the fence that church is going to fall off onto. Are they going to move up into transformation, up into chaos, down into recovery, or down into status quo? And I bet the big question is, where are we? Where is our little spot on the kiosk? Where is, why is that a free church? There you are. You are in transformation, my friends. Congratulations. Uh, it is a great thing to be able to give a report to a church that is doing uh, fairly well. Now, we know that there's room for improvement, right? You're not in the upper right-hand corner of transformation, but that's your starting point, and it's a great starting point indeed. So this is the ideal quadrant. This is where we hope that churches will land. Um, Well done. Really happy for you. But there's also things that we want you to realize as being in transformation. Um, There's still a larger number than ideal of people on the fence. So that means there's room for improvement. We want the next steps that the church takes to help move some of the people off the fence onto the positive side of those energy and satisfaction questions. Um, we want churches like yours to think about how can we expand our influence. The truth is, I do a lot of these assessments, and not every church is fortunate to be in a transformational posture. So I want to encourage you, do more for the kingdom. Why? Because you've got enough health within you to do it. Stretch. Do something new. Take ground for the kingdom. Expand your reach. Replicate. Multiply. Like, do what you can to make an impact in this area because you are a healthy congregation and we want to see you moving forward for the kingdom. So how do you continue to move up and to the right even though you're already in transformation? 
So you can see the little bubble above the right-hand corner, upper right-hand corner there. That's where vision lives. So it's time to have a fresh vision of where are we headed next? What's next for our church? We want your people's eyes to continue to move up and to the right. That's where vision lives. To remain in transformation or to stay in transformation, I want you to think about getting into a cycle of innovation. A cycle of innovation. Continually improving things in the church. Keep looking up for fresh vision. Take new territory for the kingdom and celebrate those things with your people so that you remind yourself that what you're doing is meaningful and full of purpose. Innovate. Optimate. Optimize. Build things up. Try something. Try. Take a risk. You're healthy enough to take some calculated risks. Invest your strength in furthering God's purpose in this part of the world. What are your risks in transformation? Well, trying to hold on to what is. (laughs) As soon as you try to hold steady, right, and just keep doing what you're doing, what does that sound like? Status quo, Right? I just want to keep doing what we're doing. Um, looking only to your own interests, beginning to get territorial about the things that are the resources of the church. None of us as owners, we're all stewards of God's resources. So as soon as you start trying to hold on to the things that you prefer, rather than continuing to see it as an investment in the kingdom, that can ha- is a risk to transformation. Refusing to try, fearing change, pulling up the ladder behind you, you know, we're good now. I think we can pull up the ladder and not think about who's not here yet or who's not welcomed in. When churches are in transformation, if they begin to take on those characteristics, they shrink down into status quo. So the biggest risk for a transformational church is keep doing what you're doing and you're going to drift down into status quo. So we looked at some of the strengths of your church, some of the specific strengths of your church, and I want to share those with you now. So you are unified as a more theologically uh, conservative congregation. However, not everyone here comes from the same tradition. We ask the question, scripture is the literal word of God without error, not only in matters of faith, but also in historical, geographical, and other secular matters. 85% of your congregation clearly agree with that. 12% are on the fence. And look, there's your contrarians. 3% disagree. Okay? So that tells us that you're unified in your view of scripture. You hold scripture in high regard. When we put you into a pool, this data is also benchmarked against 2,100 other churches who've taken the assessment. And this bar graph represents the four theological questions that were in the assessment and how you compare on those questions to 2,100 other churches. And you can see the bar graph puts you over on the more conservative end of the spectrum. But you're not holistically, you know, in the 99th percentile over at the right. There's some diversity there in the conservative side. So people are coming from different perspectives. Another strength of your church is your personal spiritual vitality. Um, Your attenders experience a high level of personal engagement with the Lord. You were in the 99th percentile compared to 2,100 other churches. That's extraordinary. And, And it means that individuals here are having a vital relationship with Christ. The statement in the assessment was, I experienced the presence of God in my life. 92% of you clearly agreed with that. 7% were on the fence, and there you didn't even hit the 3% contrarians. Only 1% of you said that that was not true for you. Which means that that 
personal spiritual vitality doesn't necessarily correlate to organizational spiritual vitality, but individuals are feeling like their relationship with the Lord is important to them and really vital. You also have a value for biblical learning and and education. Our attenders understand they have a spiritual responsibility for lifelong learning and formation. 67% of you clearly agreed, 30% of you are on the fence, and 3% clearly disagreed. So there was your contrarians. So good value for biblical learning and, and for being educated in biblical truth. You also expressed a readiness for ministry. Right? So we know that we want you to try and to move out to take ground for the kingdom. Um, and your church seems to provide you with opportunities to do that. Our church provides opportunities for attenders to engage in active ministry within the church and to the world. 81% of you clearly agreed and said, yes, that's true. 18% of you are on the fence and 1% clearly disagreed. So there's a readiness You're spiritually vital. The church is providing opportunities. So where are some of the challenges that we see? Well, your worship and music was a challenge for you. Um, When asked to respond to the statement, the music at our church is outstanding in quality and appropriate in style to our congregation, 49% of you clearly agreed. 38% were on the fence, and 13% clearly disagreed. Now, remember I told you 3 to 4% are contrarians, right? When that number goes up to about 9 or 10%, it tells us that there's some polarization in the church happening around that question. When it goes up to 12, 13, 14%, it tells us there's active conflict for some people with regard to that question. So again, it's telling me a story here just in this responses. Um, so there, I know that you've had historically some issues with worship, and I think some steps have been taken to move um, the dial on that for people, but it, it is continuing to be an issue for some people, a challenge that the church needs to address. The worship experience is most closely correlated to morale, in a church, and the energy and satisfaction questions reflect morale. So when worship is vibrant and engaging to the participant, attenders tend to feel more energized about the church as a whole. Another challenge area for you is conflict management. Um, Among our attenders, there's a healthy tolerance of differing opinions and beliefs. The idea there is this healthy tolerance of differing opinions and beliefs. 31% of you clearly agree, yes, you know, we have some diversity here and we're okay with that. 63% of you are on the fence. Yowza. 6% clearly disagree. So you're not in conflict over that. You're not really even polarized over it. But 63% of you are wondering, do we really welcome people? who may fall in different places on the the doctrinal spectrum with different questions than where I fall? I'm not sure. How do we handle that? How do we respond as a church when a brother or sister expresses an opinion or an idea that is different from our own? How do we understand primary and secondary theological issues within this church body? I think it's an area for you to explore more fully. Another challenge for you is your untapped potential. Um, the, The question in the assessment was, I often feel like I have something to give the church, but I don't know how to give it. 
11% clearly agreed with that. 44% said, maybe I do. Maybe I have something to give, but I'm not sure how to give it. 11% said, I don't know. That means with an average attendance of 450 adults, roughly 50 people walk through the doors each weekend, or now that they can walk through the doors, <laughs> come through, come to Wayzata Free each weekend with something to give and no idea how to give it. Like as a former small groups director in an e-free church, I'm like, how do we figure out who those people are? Like, let me at them, right? That's incredible potential. Another 198 said, I don't know, maybe. Like 250 people are coming to church every weekend out of your 450 adult attenders, potentially with something to give, but not understanding the pathway in which to access or see that delivered into the body life of the church. That's a challenge, but man, tackle that one. That's exciting. You also had some interesting results. And by interesting, I mean results that I haven't seen before, and I've been using this assessment with congregations for more than 10 years. Okay? The first one has to do with shared priorities. The shared priorities of a congregation distinguish it from other churches in the community. So the things that you all share together as priorities are part of what distinguishes you from the other churches in the community. Um, As a whole, your congregation would like to see additional energy placed in the following areas. You want to develop and implement a, a strategy to reach new people and incorporate them into the life of the church. In essence, you want to grow. You want to strengthen the process. Those would be the internal processes by which attenders are called and equipped for ministry and leadership. So you want to strengthen and equip the body. You want to develop ministries that work toward healing those broken by life circumstances. So you want to be an agent of healing. You want to help bring healing to hurting people. And you want to expand outreach ministries that provide direct services to those living on the margins of society. So you want to reach those in need. Those are all great shared priorities across the board. So customarily, when I work with a congregation and we slice the priorities by age demographic, uh, congregations will share at least one or two top priorities across all age demographics, under 35, 35 to 64, and 65 and older. So I'm looking for two shared priorities as we slice by age group. What's interesting here, when the data is sliced by age group, there were no top priorities shared across all generations. Now let that thing sink in a little bit. The shared priorities that I I told you about, those four top shared priorities, are when we look at you as a whole. But when we slice by age demographic, we see that you're not prioritizing the same things as your top priorities at all. I've actually never seen this, where there's no top priorities that are shared across all three groups in more than 10 years of doing this assessment interpretation. So that, to me, was an interesting result. Like, wow, hmm, that begs some conversation. So key priority for those that are under 35 is to deepen our sense of connection to God and one another through stronger worship services. So those under 35 want stronger worship services. They also really care about activating and building coalitions in the community around the church for outreach and to provide specific needs to people. 
A key priority for those 35 to 64 is to strengthen that process by which members are called and equipped for ministry and leadership. We saw that on the the top four results. Um, This one was their top priority. And the key priority for those 65 and older is to change or improve the music of the church to deepen our worship experience. So both under 35 and over 65 are asking for something to change in worship or to deepen the experience and the connectivity that they experience through that um, the, that part of the service. Um, but my guess is those might be different um, <laughs> desires, like what that means for those two groups might be different. Another interesting reality is that your congregation is aging. 30% of your congregation is over 65. 60% is over 55. Only 3% of respondents were under 34. Okay? Now, a good portion of your, your congregation is the youth, and people who are generally 18 years or older are the ones who are taking the assessment. Um, but still, we would like to see those numbers increase. So what are your challenges, then, as a, as a result of these interesting statistics? Um, you have to come together. Uh, how can you es- establish unifying priorities that allow you to build momentum and leverage your kingdom potential? We know you have it. It's about how do we connect the dots across all generations to create priorities that are going to feel as meaningful to everyone here, that everyone can get behind. Your other challenge is you've got to grow younger. How do you become the church that your children and your grandchildren want to attend? How do you become that church? How do you build the legacy of this healthy congregation into something that your children and grandchildren, the next generation, really wants to attend and be a part of? You also have to stay flexible. Flexibility is the only factor directly correlated to a congregation's ability to achieve its goals and objectives. So flexibility is really important here. You have to stay flexible. When we asked you, our attenders welcome changes in weekend services, 18% of you said, yes, we do. 69%, almost 70% of your congregation said, I don't know, do we? And 13% of you, there's that polarization, right? We're, we're up in conflict saying, no, we don't welcome changes in weekend services. We kind of like what we like. So we nuanced the question and said, we are willing to adapt our weekend services to the needs and circumstances of the people we want to reach in our local community, right? We know you want to grow. That was your number one shared priority. We want to reach new people and incorporate them into the life of the church. But are we willing to adapt what we do here together in order to reach them? 42% of you said, yes, we will. 51%, more than half of you said, I don't know, would we? Would we do that? And 7% disagree and said, nope. So again, this is something that, that challenges you to think about yourself in that story. You know that you're part of a healthy congregation that wants to grow and reach and aspirationally touch the lives of people here in the West Metro, but I think there's a piece of the flexibility that you possess in and of yourself that says, am I willing to do what it takes? to help that become reality for Wayzata Free. 
So your attenders, you do currently have enough internal flexibility um, to make adjustments when needed, but increasing your flexibility will help you achieve more for the kingdom. So you have to be intent about doing that. Um, There's an internal tension that gets created in churches when there's a gap between your aspiration, here's what we want to do, and your willingness, your willingness to make changes in order to see that happen. Um, Everybody is willing to make changes as long as it starts with you or you and not start with me. So you have a heart to reach people and incorporate them into the life of your church but your internal tension is you're not sure if you're willing to make the changes to weekend services necessarily to reach them. We're not talking again here about theological essentials. We're talking about mode of ministry. Um, you're an aging congregation, so you have to grow younger and become the church your children and grandchildren want to attend. But your internal tension could be that some of your personal preferences related to style of worship or other modes of, of church-related activities may hold you back from that. Because you're a little bit stuck in wanting what you want and liking it the way it is. So how do you increase flexibility? Well, you pray and you ask God to give you a soft heart. Um, You trust God that he will do good things if you are willing to cooperate. And you try. Try to sit in a different location in the the worship center next time you're here. Um, For those of you online, when you come, sit in a location you didn't. Drive a different route to church and pray for the people in the houses that you pass along the way. Um, encourage somebody to try something new and go with them to do it. You got to try. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, as Philippians says. So we also asked you some supplemental questions. Uh, most church attenders would be comfortable sharing faith stories uh, with people where they live and work. 17% of you clearly agreed and said, yep, that's true. 53% were on the fence. said they didn't know, and 4% disagreed. So, you know, roughly 83% of your congregation said, I don't know if we are comfortable sharing faith stories where we live and work. So that's an opportunity. Many different ministries within the church, education, fellowship, weekend services, missions, are taking steps to reach people in the community and not just our own attenders. We ask that statement. 43% of you clearly agreed with that and said, yep, that's true. 40% were on the fence and said, I don't know. Another 14% clearly said, I don't know. And 3% disagreed. So you had more than half of your people say, I'm not sure about that. You were also asked a question regarding your view of the role of men and women in church leadership. 38% of you affirm that men and women are created equal in value, but with different God-given roles and responsibilities. 51% of you affirm that men and women are created equal and have interchangeable God-given roles and responsibilities. And 11% responded that they didn't know. So in summary, what would I like to leave you thinking about? Well, first... You are a healthy congregation with so much potential. You care about your church, and you have energy to invest in it. So do that. You genuinely want to advance the gospel and to make a difference in the lives of lost and hurting people in this West Metro area. We need churches like yours to do that. It's There's so much here that you can do more for the kingdom. Um, internally, you might have different ideas about how to describe meaningful worship. 
That's, that's okay. That's something that needs to be addressed. Um, you have an opportunity to come together to listen, learn, and develop shared priorities for the future. And again, it's going to take everybody giving a little bit to get to a place where we can all agree that um, these are the right and best next steps. By God's grace, your next season could be your best yet. And I really hope it is for the sake of the kingdom and for the good of the gospel. But it takes everyone. So pray that God will uh, help you soften your heart, give you courage to work with one another, and to help Wyzetta Free uh, realize its wonderful potential. This is our company's verse um, that we share. Um, And this is my prayer for you all, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God bless you all. Thank you for having me, and thanks for your participation in this project.